providing real solutions for real business challenges. Welcome to FNF Unplugged, Season 4. Conversations with professionals across the country, exploring business topics and empowering personal growth in real estate, financial services, and the title insurance industry. Welcome back to FNF Unplugged for part two of our marketing series. You mentioned wins briefly, so let's go there. Where are you seeing the real wins right now? I think overall, and I'm sure that everybody could argue this differently, but you know, across the board, we're seeing wins in kind of what I would say are four main areas. On the content side, we're seeing wins on email, marketing emails especially, and on LinkedIn content. And I think that one of the things that sets that apart, we're not seeing wins on the super salesy kind of stuff. So when we're sending out emails, constantly promoting ordering title on a website or using a new technology tool or what we're doing in terms of electronic payments and stuff like that. We're not always seeing wins with that. That is sort of icing on top, the cherry on top, but it's not the it's not the bulk of it. Those wins are coming where we'll do updates on the latest commercial real estate data for a certain region, updates on USDA facts and figures on agricultural property in a certain area, apps and technology that are saving realtors and lenders time and money, that kind of stuff moves the needle and is getting new business because you're being more of a resource to your customers rather than just promoting what you have. You're giving them a wider window of things that they could find success in. And that's true on LinkedIn too. It's a LinkedIn success is because we're talking about the exact same things that we are on email, but we're seeing that success come from personal profiles, not company profiles. So having the owner or the sales team or the leadership team post more often from their individual accounts is seeing a lot more growth or engagement than posting from the company. And then another win area is definitely video. I will continue to talk about video all the time that people need to be Even though we're on an audio podcast right now. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. But, you know, FNF has a YouTube channel uh, for the agency side of things. There's also a YouTube channel for the Digital Closing Hub, I know. So you guys are doing plenty of video, but video is important because it's one of the most consumed types of media that are out there on the social channels. When you link video and email on your website, people consume video all the time. And I know I've said this before. I I said this on the the FNF on screen webinar recently that you can't be scared of being on video. You can't be scared of how you look or your voice. We've got to get over that. Or you've got to find someone that can be. But the good news for a lot of folks, it's strange. It's a strange stat, but something crazy like more than 60% of videos are watched with no audio on. People are watching videos when they're on planes and trains and walking and 
who knows what on the treadmill and everything else. We multitask more than we ever have before. And videos are being watched without the audio component. So if your voice is one of those concerns for you, maybe it shouldn't be because they're really going to be reading the captions that you have with the video or the text on screen. So you've got to get started there and, and you'll see wins pretty quickly. And then another one that a lot of companies still don't think about much is on the public relations side and really trying to do more localized press releases has resulted in some good wins for folks. And it's just something that, especially within the title space, people haven't done much, but there's obviously the the industry publications that you can send press release and news to like Sober Research, the American Land Title Association, state land title associations, local underwriter newsletters, builders and realtor associations, all that kind of stuff. But also your local media is still interested in what's going on. Your business journals, when you've got news about growth or staffing changes or office locations or remodeling or anything like that, there's stuff within that. A lot of our commercial title agents will do press releases on big development projects that they're helping to close. There's a lot of different ways that you can localize that. We have some that every time the jobs report comes out each month, they'll do a quick two-sentence statement that they send to local media talking about how the jobs report means good things for the economy and a good economy is good for housing. And if you need a closing and title company in your area, use XYZ title. Super quick and easy, but the press release thing can really be a new way to get referral business and be seen by your customers. So I'm sure there are other wins and that that probably works differently in different regions, but I would say those are the four big wins that we're seeing at the moment. I have a couple questions regarding, well, the first one regarding email content. Two questions there. Number one, how do you balance the not sending enough emails to sending too many emails? And number two, how can we effectively communicate via email in this environment of higher security protocols, more and more firewalls going up? I'm finding it difficult to communicate even with my own staff sometimes. Yeah, with every win, there are still hurdles for sure. I think that for the first part of that on the the email content side and kind of cutting through the noise a little bit, I think that people respond to whatever frequency that you set. So I think that sometimes people feel strapped in by saying it's a newsletter, it's a monthly newsletter, so now we have to do it every month. When you have something to say, I think you should say it. I am an elder millennial at this point, but I'm still a millennial enough that when people complain about too much email, I'm like, unsubscribe or delete it. I don't understand what your problem is. Just move on. There are two options for you. But I know that's not how most of the world works. So I think when you're thinking about frequency of email, we actually see more. There's a stat from HubSpot that companies get the most results when they're emailing or blogging, you know, sending out their blog posts 11 times a month. That's probably a shock to most of you that struggle getting one marketing email or one blog out per month. But if you can make that your goal, that would be great. We've had several customers in the last couple of years that have switched to one blog or one email a week. And being in front of your customers, even if they don't engage with it, sometimes engagement goes down a little bit, but they see the activity, which keeps you top of mind more often for them. So 
I think you should set a frequency of emails that makes sense for your organization, for what you can put out. But I wouldn't be afraid of overstimulating your audience. If you're going from nothing, if you've never sent an email to your customers, no, I would not go to one a week. But if you're at one a month-ish right now, maybe try going every other week to increase it slightly so you don't overwhelm anybody. But if folks don't like it, they will unsubscribe or they will reply and tell you to unsubscribe. And most of them, you know, my experience is still, they're not, it's not like they're going to give you less business because you're sending them useful email content. If you constantly say, order online and use our NetSheet calculator, yeah, they might give a little less business next month. But if you're given the real content we talked about, I think you'll be fine. And then the second piece that you asked was what, Linda, again? It was how can you effectively communicate via email ah. in this heightened security protocols environment and all of these firewalls that companies have? It is harder than ever to get through the firewalls, the bounce rates and all that. And I think one big mistake companies make is they don't cross promote what's going out via email. And I think that helps people to remember to, oh, I should approve this sender or I should whitelist this email because the email newsletter that you sent out, you also posted on your LinkedIn channel or on your LinkedIn account, or part of your email newsletter, you turned into a quick video that you did on Instagram, you know, promoting that stuff and using that content in multiple places can help fight through that so that people know. And again, they're more likely to help figure out how to receive your email if it's worth receiving. You know, no one wants to help when they don't really care about what you're sending. So when they say, oh, I don't get your emails, they're blocked or whatever else, I think that helps too. If you're using something like Constant Contact or MailChimp as a, a marketing email distributor, they will give you the code and the back end kind of stuff that you need to provide to people to be able to whitelist your emails. And that's something that you can train to, you know, when you do in-person events and when you are on social media, you can remind people to make sure that they're whitelisting your emails so that they don't get blocked. But especially those email distribution systems, like again, a MailChimp or a Constant Contact, they'll give you some tools as well to try and get things whitelisted. It is a headache that's not going away necessarily anytime soon. And not always the easiest to get through, but there are things you can start to do to start chipping away at it. Well, thank you. That was great information. And yes, they do have those security codes. Some companies call them DKIM codes or SSC codes, but you have to ask for them. It's not like they say, hey, get a better bounce rate by using this or doing this process. You have to be proactive and ask those companies, those questions. I also like that you threw in that cross-marketing in there. I think that is critical to any marketing plan that's within some sort of strategy. You can't just wanna roll out a product and not have all your ducks in a row. Is your staff fully informed? Your quote sales team, is your website ready? Does it have a marketing page with regards to this new product or this new launch? Have you already curated what your social media content is going to be or create a social media campaign within your digital marketing calendar? So, I mean, we could probably talk another 10 minutes on cross-marketing, but I'm glad you added that in there. Thank you. I will say, though, speaking of websites, I don't see any mention of websites here in your top four. Why is that? 
Well, there are a couple of reasons. We talked about wins, and I think that your web presence is a much longer road to a win because of things like search engine optimization or SEO and the cost for some of building a proper modern website and things like that make it not an immediate win. You know, I can almost guarantee that you're going to get some feedback from customers pretty instantly with the four wins that I talked about and websites. That's not really the case. But that all said, I do get asked all the time, you know, do people still get business from a title company's website? You know, is that important? Again, this goes back to the very beginning of this conversation of knowing your goals and knowing what you're after and who you're after and what they care about. I try to be very honest with some title companies and for some title companies, their website is really more of a landing page. It is a spot for people to find you digitally and then to be springboarded to the humans that they need to connect with on your team for different things. And that's okay. Others have fully uh, developed sites with tons of content and help and apps and tools and all kinds of stuff, sometimes because that's what everybody else in their market has. And then the sad thing is nobody's using it. Everybody has it, but nobody's using it. And that gets frustrating because it feels like, well, we've added this and we still don't have very many people going to our web page and everything else. That is something that, especially if you're somebody that's reporting to someone else on this stuff, thinking about how to talk about traffic to your leadership, ownership, and all of that in a realistic way. Because some people expect these huge traffic numbers. Well, we build a new site. Why don't we have more visitors? You know, I, I always say, I'm like, if you do... For quick math's sake, let's say that you do 250 closings a week on average, right? So you've got 250 a week. And if there are 52 weeks in a year, that's 13,000 closings that you're doing. And let's just say that that's distributed amongst 50 customers, right? 50 customers that are giving you deals. They're each giving you 260, but that's 50 people that potentially came to your site. You know, there aren't that many more in some of these markets beyond the customers that you have that are going to go. So if you build your site and know that you've got 50 main customers a year that are giving you business, but you're expecting 10,000 visitors a month on your website, that's never going to happen. That's just not, we're in a niche business with people that only need us at certain points in their life. And so unless you are building out much more for the average homeowner or you've got education and way more meat to what you're doing, having unrealistic expectations isn't going to help you. So websites are still super important and you can have wins with them. I think the people that have the most wins are the ones that are offering education. They have more video resources. They've got sections for new real estate agents that are trying to learn and push out content on their own and that really tailor to the very specific types of deals that they can do. They talk about their 1031 experience. They talk about their ability to handle deeds in lieu and all these different little, little pieces of the transaction or the title search process, I think Seymour wins, but it's a much bigger project than the other four I mentioned. So that's why it's not on the main list, but it's still, it's still a big deal to have to be thinking about. Well, and I like how you said uh, a lot of websites are landing pages and that's really not a bad thing, right? You send an email, provide information, at least your website will have that information on it or have 
also the LinkedIn content there or a home for your videos or a home for all those press releases and what's going on with your company. So yeah, I think we could do better on the websites, but at least it's a home for all this other stuff too. Let's kind of shift gears a little here as we kind of wind down. How do you decide to hire someone internally versus hire an agency like Bow Digital? Is there some magic staff number or is there some magical gross revenue number that I can give everybody a formula? If you have this plus this, you need to go here. Uh, that'd be wonderful. And if we could figure that out together, it would probably help a lot of people. But I don't think there's a good number because I think that you could be a team of three in a rural one county operation to a team of 300 in a multi-state, you know, kind of scenario. And I think that your decision to hire someone internally full-time or part-time versus hiring an agency that is specialized in your business versus specialized in your local community are hard things to think through. I think, again, all of this ties back to your goals. You have to think about what are our overall goals and what do we want to accomplish? If we want pure activity, if we're just worried about getting things out the door quickly and efficiently, it's probably more cost effective to think about hiring a local agency. They're not going to know as much about your individual business and what you do, but they'll be able to create activity quickly. If you're trying to really get the engagement piece and, and understand at a bigger level what's happening in the real estate industry, the financial industry, and all of that, and talk more specifically on things that'll help your customers, somebody that's specialized in your business probably makes sense. I think the internal piece is, you know, where do you want to spend your time and dollars? I think that for a lot of companies, unfortunately, that marketing person, if things get a little busy and they need help, all of a sudden they get cross-trained on, well, you're going to help close and you're going to help do this, that, and the other. You're going to help with uh, post-closing kind of stuff which is great and how as business leaders, we have to move people around as the needs change, but those needs are what pay the bills. And so sometimes that person, then all of a sudden their role is dwindles down to 50% marketing and 25% marketing and all of that. So I think that there are benefits to hiring an outside agency because there's less mission creep. They're not going to use an outside agency for some of that internal stuff, but you know your own organization, your own culture as well. And if you know that you are the type of group that is super specific and hyper critical and are always going to edit and change things from happy to glad. You know, that's always my example. If we're going to edit in that way, it's probably better to have somebody in-house because those types of edits are going to end up costing you money with a lot of agencies to do just the constant editing for edit's sake. And that's, it should be exactly how you want it. But sometimes we edit to a, a point to no return. And there's a good quote from an author that I love, John Acuff, and he talks about how perfectionism is a poison disguised as a vitamin. And that's very true to me. Perfectionism and trying to get that stuff exactly right is poisonous, but is billed as though, you know, we all want perfection and that's just not real life for most of us at least. And so I think, you know, knowing your culture and knowing what you're going to want from an outside organization you may need to have somebody internally, somebody that you can really sit shoulder to shoulder with to do some of that. 
But otherwise, I think for most budgets, hiring an outside agency is going to be cheaper than even a part-time person internally. And when you are hiring an outside agency, I think you ask really specific questions, you know, for the times and stuff that you're doing where you do need to work more shoulder to shoulder. Are they willing to do that? What type of individualized, you know, attention and service are you going to get from those organizations? And really knowing up front, you know, what does that connection look like versus just, you know, deliverables that you may be paying for? So it's not a perfect answer, but that's how I would think about trying to hire someone internally versus hiring an outside group. No, that is great. What do you feel or what kind of tips can you provide with regards to what are the best marketing resources out there, whether they be someone you know, or maybe some sort of app or program? I think that the best resources, I mentioned this once already, but truly content gets created in this industry every single day by so many different groups. So Fidelity puts out a newsletter and video and is active on social media and has so many things happening in each of their different regions around the country. You could borrow content from them. Your title production software, just about all of them have blogs and podcasts and ebooks. A lot of you have additional underwriters that are also putting out information. You have other vendors like us, Bow Digital, that's putting out different content for you. So I think that's a huge resource is don't forget that there's plenty happening already that you can piggyback on. And some I know are like, well, what does that mean? How would I piggyback on something? You see a great article in Alta's News You Can Use email one morning that talks about how the Denver real estate market is one of the best in the country last month for new home sales or something. You could do a post that says, as we saw in Alta's email this morning, Denver's the best market. We are happy to be here as ABC Title Company. Read more below on why we got named the best market and contact us for your next closing. You know, it's nothing new. You're not talking about anything specific. You're referencing this article from somebody else, but it's all curated for you. So I think that's a big one. One of the resources I get asked the most about right now is definitely chat GPT. Everybody wants to know if they should be using artificial intelligence created content. I think that overall, you know, I was at the Tennessee Land Title Association convention recently, and they did a Stump the Underwriter panel, which I've seen many times before. One of the really funny things that they did during that this year was they pre-inputted all of the questions for the underwriters into chat GPT so that they could kind of see, are we close to an era where there aren't going to be underwriters anymore? And luckily for, for Linda and everybody else, we are not. Uh, because ChatGPT could not answer the questions in the same way that an underwriter would. And I think, you know, my constant refrain for people is that I think that ChatGPT can be a tool for you, but it's likely not a solution. So no, it's not going to replace having somebody on your team or hiring someone externally. I think that you can use it to create filler content and things like that. If you're like, oh, everybody always posts a an Irish proverb for St. Patrick's Day. What are we going to say this year? It might come up with something new and different for you. So like that, in that way, it can be helpful. Uh, but I would always check. And so many people are using it. Sometimes it does spit out the same information. So especially in a niche industry. And you're starting to see some people, some organizations like 2020 has started giving a disclaimer of how much of their content in each newscast is AI related or created. So I think you're going to see more of that in the future too. But 
I would use it as a resource, not a solution. Other apps and programs to use, I think that Canva is still a really, really helpful program for most individuals. Canva does have a free version that you can utilize. Most of the best tools aren't available on it. It is about $11 a month for the paid version. You can find that in your budget. I think it's more than worth it. Canva's adding a lot of AI tools itself, including content creation, which has actually been really successful so far. It will also do things now where it will create base designs for you. So you can type into its magic design portal and say, I want to see a panda on a rocket eating pizza in the desert. And it will, if it can't find that image, it will basically start to Photoshop it and put it together for you. So that's a really great app and program to be used as well. And then I think that another huge one is Pixabay. They have royalty-free video and images that people can use so you don't get in trouble with anyone for the stuff that you're doing. That's a really big piece. And then I think that my favorite image site right now is called Gratisography, which is G-R-A-T-I-S-ography which stands for freeography, obviously, if you know any Latin. But it is a wonderful site with a lot of unique imagery. So it's not the stuff you're going to find every day. It's not the stuff that's going to be the, on everybody else's pages. It's really different and unique and I think will help let you brainstorm more too on the kind of content that you put out there. Well, that's great, Wayne. I agree. Canva is a great resource for non-marketing professionals versus like an Adobe InDesign that is used by marketing professionals. It's amazing the tools that are out there now that have never been there. We've come a long way from Microsoft Publisher and PowerPoint, and now there's Prezi and all these other tools that you can utilize within your company. Wayne, thank you so much for participating in our marketing series. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And I hope you had as much fun as I did. I did. This was great as always. And I appreciate the invite. And I'm always happy to talk about this stuff. So let's connect and brainstorm anytime. That'd be great. I would love to do a one-on-one -on -one with a company with you. Or maybe someday we can share the stage again in a larger group presentation. That would be a ton of fun. I would love that. Thanks, Wayne. Thanks, Linda. If you have questions, comments, or would like us to feature a specific topic, email fnfeducation at fnf.com. Thanks for downloading FNF Unplugged, a presentation of the FNF family of companies. All rights reserved. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or any endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent, including Fidelity National Financial or its directors. Please seek legal or financial advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed in this podcast.